Open your copy of scriptures to 1 Thessalonians, we're on page 1170 of the Pew Bible. I love this section. This section is easy to identify with. I get down to about verse 9 of the next chapter. Um, We talk about Paul saying how thankful he is and how to God that he can't thank God enough for the Thessalonian believers. And I have to say, I identify with that. I can't thank God enough for the believers in this church and fellowship. First Thessalonians, we're going to be starting in chapter 2 and verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we should, we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and fellow worker in, fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, now, if you'll join us uh, as we dismiss our young people for kids' worship, if you'll stand, we'll sing together, How Beautiful is the Body of Christ. Listen carefully to the words here as you sing them.
Uh, let's pray together. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that the truth of its message may come home to our hearts. And that what we've just sung may be real to us. How beautiful is the body of Christ. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever find yourself dissatisfied with your situation in life? The way you spend your time seem too uh, monotonous, too mundane. Does your work seem to have no meaning, no grand purpose? Does it seem frivolous? Is it just a job? Maybe you uh, glance at the one ads from time to time, thinking that perhaps things could be different. But what would you think if you came across this one on an un- uh, unemployment website? Wanted someone willing to travel and locate to remote parts of the world. This position demands long hours and the pay is low, coming mainly from donations or sometimes from part-time manual labor. The job offers no chance for promotion or advancement, only increased responsibilities. You must be willing to leave behind many or most of your possessions and say goodbye to your friends and extended family. The working conditions may be primitive and you may have to face harsh opposition, even violent persecution. And all the while... You must assume the role of a humble servant. Sound appealing to you? It's an ad for a Christian missionary. And the Apostle Paul answered such an ad and he tells us about his own experience. He says, I worked hard. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I've been in prison frequently, been flogged severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Sound appealing? I doubt it, no matter what you're doing now. So why do it? Why would anyone want to become a missionary? That's a question I want us to consider here this morning. For though Paul in his words to the Corinthians refers to the less attractive side of his work in our text this morning, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, I think Paul's words reveal a very different dimension to his missionary labors. Now, it's clear that Paul's not in it for what he can get out of it. Being a missionary was not something he had chosen to do. He was called by God to the task. But you can't read Paul's letter to the Thessalonians without feeling... That he wouldn't trade what he was doing with anyone else in the whole world. Why would anyone ever want to become a missionary? This morning's passage, I think, points us to three very good reasons. As Paul's experience reflects the challenge of a spiritual war, the joy of Christian love and the satisfaction of real life. So let's take a peek into Paul's mail this morning and Touch the heart of the apostle and by God's grace, perhaps our hearts will be touched as well. First Thessalonians chapter two, beginning at verse 17. Why be a missionary? 
Well, first, Paul words, Paul's words suggest the challenge of being involved in a cosmic struggle, a spiritual war. Now, verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. Now, we don't know at all what happened that caused Paul to use those words. But Satan stopped us. But we can be sure that Paul knew that there was more to life than meets the eye. He encountered human opposition, certainly, but he knew that behind the human forces were stronger, more sinister spiritual forces dead set against anything that would further the gospel. There is a cosmic struggle going on. And I think it's a cosmic struggle that makes uh, our world wars just child's play in comparison. Human warfare kills only the body. But this spiritual warfare determines the eternal destiny of every man and woman on the face of the globe. And Paul knew that Satan was opposing the work of Christ and he knew that Satan was ravaging people's lives and he still does all around us. He delights in the destruction of homes and the breakup of families. He loves licentious lifestyles and all the pain that they bring. He is pleased when people keep themselves constantly busy and distracted with worldly ambitions and entertainments. He takes pride in fostering fears and prejudices and hatred and strife and even self-righteous religion that rips relationships apart and leaves people alone and in despair with no hope in the face of the inevitability of death. Paul knew that this world is the battleground of a spiritual war. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, he writes. And going into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ places you squarely on one side in this war. And you can be sure that speaking for the cause of Christ will not be received kindly by some people. I think it's like campaigning against police corruption in Mexico. Or like joining the fight against drugs in a place like Colombia. The drug lords there are very powerful, deeply entrenched. You can be sure that somebody will be out to get you. You'll be a marked man. And so Paul knew that. He knew that persecution came with the job. Uh, verse 2, he says, We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. But Paul was not concerned for himself. He was concerned for his beloved brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. Verse five, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you. And our efforts might have been useless. Paul knew the tempter was on the loose. The deceiver was at work, always looking to destroy the work of God. It was certainly true in the life of Jesus. Jesus himself was tempted by the devil in the desert. The devil prompted Judas to betray him. The devil opposes all that Jesus came to do. We can expect no less. And we are called 
to carry on that same war. And it takes courage to engage in this battle. Courage to stand up to the designs of Satan in this world. But we will always do it with the confidence that, in fact, the decisive battle has already been won. It was won when Jesus defeated the devil, when he died on the cross and rose again from the grave. Jesus Christ is now our champion. And now he calls us to join him in this fight that has already been won. Why be a missionary? Simply because there is a war going on. Can we be content to sit back and do nothing? To sit on the sidelines and watch Satan move forward. You know, he's the ultimate tyrant. Uh, holding human lives in bondage to sin, destroying them with lives, lies and, and false hopes and illusions about life. Entering into such a struggle is not easy. Paul can tell you that. But this is a battle that must be fought. A battle that we're called to join in. And it could cost you. It may involve sacrifice and hardship, but isn't that true of any war? Aren't there some fights worth fighting? Some things worth sacrificing for? Here Paul points us to the challenge of spiritual warfare. The kingdom of God pitted against the kingdom of Satan. This is the ultimate struggle. The ultimate challenge. I ask you, what can compare to it in importance? It was Theodore Williams, a Christian missionary in South India, who said, we face a humanity that is too precious to neglect. We know a remedy for the ills of the world too wonderful to withhold. We have a Christ who is too glorious to hide. We have an adventure that is too thrilling to miss. Now, I don't have a, a lot of experience with the military. It's all secondhand. Many of you have much more than I do, but I, I see young military folks trained. And they are trained to have courage. And they realize the great challenge it is to be involved in a battle. In fact, as strange as it seems to many of us, they long to be there. We should have that same desire to be in the battle, the battle against the forces of evil at work in this world. We have an adventure that is too thrilling to miss. I think. Now, if you think this, this, this notion of an adventure of spiritual warfare is too much for you, if you're looking for an easy life, a comfortable life, a life without conflict, then don't sign up. No, don't become a missionary. But the truth is, in fact, this is a war that you can't avoid. Whether you realize it or not, you're already in it. You can't hide. In fact, if you think you can hide, your own indifference to it is surely an evidence that you've already been defeated. But for those who like a challenge, for those who want a purpose big enough, to give eternal significance to your day-to-day -day living, for those who want to invest your lives in a cause worth fighting for, then maybe here's a job for you. But turning from Paul's toughness in the face of opposition, we now look at his tenderness toward his own friends. And in this we see a second reason for being a missionary, and it is the joy of Christian love. This theme permeates the whole passage. It's a passage that's dripping with deep emotion. 
Verse 17, but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Paul longs to see these people. In chapter 3, verse 11, he prays that God may clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. See, Paul found himself with a burning desire to see these people grow in their relationship with Christ, to see them blameless and holy in the presence of Christ when He appears in His glory. It was their spiritual well-being that would bring Him His greatest joy. Verse 19, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, they weren't to be a, a feather in his cap. No, they were to be a trophy celebrating the powerful work of God and his grace. And Paul's feelings toward these people can be summed up in verse 9 of chapter 3. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Now, think about that. Paul had only been among these people for a few months at the most. Yet in that very short time, he had become bonded together with them in love. Now, some people go through their whole lives and never feel this way toward other people. All their relationships are superficial. They're shallow with nothing of the passion and the depth that we see here. What was Paul's secret? It was this. He came to them. In the name of Jesus Christ, he came to them as a servant to share with them the gospel message and his very life. He came to them to engage with them at the deepest, most intimate, personal level of a human soul. You can be sure that when they got together, they didn't just talk about the weather and the redskins. They talked about what was most important. And in the process of investing his life in them, he discovered the rich joy of Christian love. Now, we live in a transient area here. A lot of people come and go. And I've noticed here in the church that the people that are most difficult to let go of, the people who have the most difficult time leaving our church, the ones who are most loved are those who have loved most. Those who have lived as servants of Jesus Christ, those who invested themselves in the lives of other people. They're those mission minded people full of the gospel, you know, the kind always ready to lend a hand, always interested in, in how you're doing in the Lord. They, they look out not for their own interests, but for the interests of others. They invest themselves in the spiritual well-being of other people. And so they reap the rich reward of the joy of Christian love. You want to know the joy of Christian love. There's no secret to it, really. Become like Paul. Have a heart for other people. Desire to be a servant of Christ in their lives. And I assure you, you'll experience something of this joy. 
Why be a missionary? There's the challenge of spiritual warfare. There's the joy of Christian life. And finally, Paul's words point us to the the deep satisfaction of real life. Look at what he says in verse 7. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now, Paul had reason to to complain about his lot in life. In the last three cities he had visited, he had been forced to flee because of mob violence against him. Then he was in Athens and he was laughed at and he was ridiculed for the foolishness of his message. He could have despaired and seen himself as a failure. But, But notice here, instead he speaks of living life to the full. Verse 8, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. What is this life that Paul's talking about? It's not just biological life. Obviously, there are many who are biologically alive who know nothing of this kind of life. It's a life lived in relationship with God. It's a life that's involved in what God is doing in the world. It's the kind of life That Jesus came to bring. I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and have it in all its fullness. Join with me. Come to me. And I will give you this life. And this is the life that Paul was experiencing. It's the life I remember seeing in Roger Eels. Many of you remember Roger. Roger was a missionary that we as a church supported for many years. He spent much of his life in the African Congo. And when he would visit, he would bring out his Luke 15, 7 book. Now, do any of you remember that book? Luke 15, 7 is the verse that speaks of the angels in heaven rejoicing over the one sinner who repents. And Roger has a book filled with the pictures and the stories of people that he has seen come to Christ, each an exhibit of the power and grace of God and a source of incredible joy and immense satisfaction. And when he opens that book, you can just see him come alive. It makes everything, everything that he had given up or sacrificed or set aside, it was worth it all. I remember my own experience as a teenager, really having no interest in Christian things. But I met some leaders with a Christian group called Young Life. And they were experiencing something of this life that Paul speaks of here. They weren't outwardly successful. They had nothing to commend themselves in a worldly sense. But there was a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. A sense of mission about what they were doing that attracted me and ultimately led me to consider Jesus Christ as my own Lord, my own Savior. Experience of life as I wanted something, something that that was big enough to give my life meaning and purpose. Well, this is it. And, And think about this. Does your Christian life sometimes seem dry? Lacking spiritual vitality? Well, perhaps Paul here can offer a prescription. Let me ask you, do you think it was hard for Paul to have a quiet time? Do you think he had to force himself to pray? And look at verse 10. Night and day, we pray most earnestly. 
that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Most earnestly, the word has a sense of to an extraordinary degree with superabundance. You see, it was Paul's sense of ministry and mission, his zeal for the spiritual well-being of others that ensured his own spiritual health. You see, it gave vibrancy to his own walk with the Lord. It inspired his prayer life like nothing else. And, you know, sometimes I, I fear that we we worry too much about our own spiritual temperature. We're always uh, pulling up our spiritual roots to see if they're growing. When what we really need to do is forget about ourselves and invest ourselves in other people. And we need to, to beware lest our Bible studies and Sunday school classes be kind of, uh, become a, a kind of inwardly directed self-help exercise with the ultimate focus on me and my needs and my desires. But what should happen is as we study the Bible, as we encourage one another in our faith, we would set our eyes on Christ. And our Bible studies should spur us on to seek to further his cause in the world and to see him glorified in the lives of other people. And I can almost guarantee you that if you start thinking about what will benefit a friend or a spouse or a son or a daughter or a co-worker or a neighbor. Or if you get involved with our international student ministry, or you come alongside another believer like this woman to woman initiative mentoring. Or you get involved in a PDF, a purpose-driven friendship, perhaps engaging in, in ministry to children here in the life of the church. If you, if you seek to introduce others to the love of God in the gospel, if you seek to further their walk with Christ, perhaps by studying the Bible with them or reading a Christian book with them or by praying together with them, you will find yourself growing closer to the Lord. That's just the way it works. In fact, it will it'll affect everything you do. If you think that your own life is on display, if your own life is being set forth as an example to others, as an encouragement to others, it'll affect the way you, you do your work. It'll affect the way you live at home. It'll affect the way you, you live with others here in the life of the church, in your neighborhood, and so on. Begin to share the gospel and your very life with other people. Your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, your family, whoever. Give God the opportunity to reveal his power at work. And you will soon begin to discover some of the real life that Paul is talking about here. Listen to Paul's words in his letter to Philemon. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. That's what happened. Didn't Jesus say, he who seeks to find his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For now we really live, Paul says, since you are standing firm in the Lord. So we return to our question this morning. Why be a missionary? Well, let me ask you another question. A question fraught with the same kind of confusion and contradiction. Why be a mother? I mean, just think about it. Why would anyone want that job? It begins with nine months of discomfort. In the beginning, you get sick, and in the end, you can't sleep. Then comes the big event, the hard labor. And for most mothers, it's a time to learn the true meaning of the word pain. 
being a mother. It's the most demanding job in the world. High pressure, endless hours, and in our day, low prestige. Having children offers no financial reward. In fact, it's a financial liability in our urban culture. It's no wonder many women are saying no to motherhood, refusing to have children at all. And all over the world, when the standard of living goes up, the birth rate goes down. It makes much better economic sense to abandon motherhood, go into the marketplace instead. You can't blame women who do. Why be a mother? There's something almost mysterious about it, even irrational. But what mother who has poured out her love and her life for her children would not echo Paul's words when she thinks of her kids? Indeed, you are my glory and joy. Or again, how can I thank God enough for you in return for all the joy I have in the presence of God because of you? Isn't it true? You see, motherhood represents the foremost opportunity of self-giving love. And its only reward is in the joy of the relationship. But what a joy that is. It comes out clearly in the story of a woman I heard about. She was a virtuoso concert pianist. And she decided to give up performing when she had her first child. She played only occasionally at a few church functions. And many people couldn't understand why she had abandoned her brilliant career. And when asked why she gave it up, she said she realized that when you are old, you can't hug a piano. She realized that the greatest human rewards are always found in human relationships, relationships of self-giving love. Now, of course, we can't all be mothers. But nor do we need to be to discover this kind of joy. You see, we can we can be a missionary. See, Paul discovered the love of a mother for these Thessalonian Christians. He says back in verse seven of chapter two, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Or he says in verse 17 of our passage, we were torn away from you. The word Paul uses there is the word from which we get the word orphan. Paul had become an orphan. In the Greek world, this notion applies to parents deprived of their children as well as children deprived of their parents. You think Paul would have said it was worth all the pain, the intense labor, the long hours, the self-sacrifice? Of course he would. It was worth it all. How can I thank God enough for you in return for all the joy I have in the presence of our God because of you? He would have simply echoed the words of the Apostle John, who said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy. But you say, we can't all be missionaries either. And there's some truth to that. We can't all leave our homes and go overseas as full-time Christian workers, though I don't know if there's anyone in this room whom the Lord couldn't call to such a task even now. Maybe some of us have to stay. But there is another sense in which we all can be missionaries. For what is a missionary? But one who is sent on a mission. A mission from God. 
And didn't Jesus say to his disciples in words that must apply to all disciples, as the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you. You see, God saves us for a purpose. For a purpose. God so loved the world, he he sent his only son into the world to die for us, to take away our sins. But he doesn't want to leave us simply as forgiven sinners. He wants to, to, to make us into redeemed saints. Born again to a new life, a new way of life. And as the Father sent His Son to reveal His love, to proclaim His truth, to live as a servant in a lost world, to see others reconciled to God and restored in His image, so the Son, Jesus our Savior, sends us. And so as a Christian, you have been sent on a mission from God. Your mission is not to make a lot of money. Not to make a name for yourself. Your mission is to go forth in the name of Jesus Christ to invest your life in other people and to see Jesus Christ glorified in their lives. That's the mission God has given to you. Whether you're a housewife or a high school student or a teacher or a lawyer, a GS5, a GS15, that's the beauty of it. You can do it in any and every life situation. Even if you're homebound, you can pray. If you're wealthy, you can give. If you're poor, you can serve. It doesn't matter. You've been drafted to join in his battle against the spiritual forces of evil. You've been invited to share in the joy of Christian love. You've been offered the deep satisfaction of real life, living in the power of God, seeing him at work in your life and in the lives of other people. Your life has a mission. Yes, there are good reasons for becoming a missionary, but. But without doubt, the best one is this. Christ commands it. He says, go, be my hands, be my voice in a world that more than anything else needs me. And what a privilege it is to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And this is what our lives are to be about. This is what our church is to be about. When you look at this worship bulletin here, do you notice the addition To the top of the worship bulletin. It says, building a community of grace and truth. This is what we're to be about. Community of grace and truth. That's that's what Jesus Christ was. The expression of grace and truth. The truth that we are sinners before a holy God, but the grace that he receives us mercifully. The grace that we are accepted just as we are. And yet the truth that God calls us to be renewed and restored in the image of God. We're to be that expression of Jesus Christ, building a community of grace and truth. But it's not just for ourselves so that we have a warm and friendly fellowship. We're to build a community of grace and truth for ministry and mission to the glory of God. For ministry and mission. We're not just here to be a close-knit social club. We're here to build an outpost for God's mission to the world. That's what we're about. And we need to remember that as we gather in our Sunday school classes, our home groups, our Bible studies, our fellowship activities, even in our friendships with those who are part of the church and those who aren't, we're here for ministry and mission to the glory of God. And I think we can see from what he's written in this letter, the Apostle Paul understood this heavenly mission. This mission to go in Christ's name and by the Spirit's power to seek spiritual well-being of others. 
to the glory of God. And as he looked back on his life and ministry, Paul could say, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. At the end of your life, will you be able to say those words? I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, the mission that I had been given in this life. If you are able to say those words, you will have met the challenge of spiritual warfare. You will have experienced the joy of Christian love. And you will have really lived. Let's pray. What a wonderful thing this gospel is. You reach out to rescue us. You come to claim us as your own. And then, Lord, you, you make us a part of what you're doing in the world. You call us to be engaged in the most significant purpose, mission that there can be. Your mission and purpose. To bring the gospel to others. And to redeem a people for yourself, for your own glory. But what a privilege. Lord, may we see the beauty of it. May we see the glory of it. May may it draw us. And may it overcome our timidity and our cowardice and our moral frailty. As you just grip our hearts with the wonderful, wonderful purpose of being engaged with you in this mission to the world. Lord, give us courage. Give us love. Allow us to step out in faith so that we may experience something of the adventure of this life to which we're called. May we be about the task of building a community of grace and truth for ministry and mission to the glory of God. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn asks the question, who is on the Lord's side? Let's stand together as we sing.